We are very, very glad to have Brother Ben Weeks, <clears throat> Lake Park, Georgia, with us tonight. And I've been with Brother Weeks many times, heard him preach, sometimes preached with him, usually, hopefully, preached before him, because if you preach after him, you start, you start feeling really bad if you're preaching after him. But I'm going to tell you about Brother Weeks. He, he's going to preach exactly what he knows, not thinks, but knows that God has laid on his heart. And he will, he will, he will bring it to us clear. He, he, he can touch any range. He can preach to any of us and touch us on any level. God uses him. The Bible says in Psalm 101, my eyes, David wrote and said, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they shall dwell with me. And I've made, it, I've made it a practice in my life to find faithful people to be my friends and to preach to me, to be my elders. And, and uh, brother, brother Weeks is that kind of friend, and uh, it, it's an honor to have him tonight. And he will pre- if, if, if it's holiness preaching we'll need, he'll preach it to us, and he'll make us squirm in a good way. If it's shouting preaching we'll need, he'll have us climbing the walls and biting the ceiling. If it's evangelism, hello? If it's evangelism, he'll have us wanting to walk out of here and knock doors and win souls. Praise God. Praise God. He, his voice is the kind of voice that we need in the apostolic movement in this age. Very clear very real. The thing I appreciate about Brother Weeks is his authenticity. He is very, very real. And we're glad that he and his family are with us at West Coast. Let's pray together one more time. We're going to turn this pulpit over to Brother Weeks, but let's really pray that we get in the spirit with the preacher and receive from the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to walk with us right now. Let's love the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you. Let's tell him how much we love him tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're a wonderful God. Such a great God. Such a mighty God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Well, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Is anybody happy to be in God's house tonight? Amen, amen. People are glad to go to the ball game. People are glad to go to the rock music concert. People are glad to go to the rodeo. How about we get happy that we're in church today? Out of all the places we could be, God has blessed us to allow us to be in His house. Praise the Lord. Give honor to all the ministers here tonight. So good to to be with all of you. So good to be in West Coast Conference 2013. Give honor to all the wonderful saints in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. We've come to have church, haven't we? Praise the Lord. Did anybody come with a spirit of expectation in this place? Praise God. Amen. Give honor to 
uh, Elder Morton tonight, one of the greatest men that uh, this planet Earth has ever known, and appreciate his example and his preaching and his burden and his ministry. Amen. We have been influenced and impacted by his life, haven't we? We're so thankful for this great man of God. Thank you, Elder, for the room and all of the hospitality. Good to have uh, my wife and my daughter, Abigail, with me tonight. So much love them. So glad that they're here. Amen. Praise God. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14 tonight. Looking forward to hearing these other preachers preach. Looking forward to hearing Brother Blakely, Brother Jones, and uh, Brother Lambeth tomorrow night, and uh, Brother Booker on Friday, and Brother Townley on Friday. If you don't know it, Brother Townley's my mentor. We started preaching about 25 years ago or so together, and he taught me everything I know, and so if I don't, if I don't carry the ball tonight, blame him. Praise God. I've just been following him for these last 25 years. Hallelujah. And uh, looking forward to hearing Brother Dudley on Friday night. Going to wrap this thing up. We've got a lot of wonderful preaching ahead of us in the next few days. And I am looking forward to hearing from the Lord in these services. Did anybody come to West Coast Conference wanting to hear from God? I've come listening, wanting to hear from the Lord tonight. Praise God. I read some time back about the inaugural address of President William Henry Harrison, the year 1841. And uh, President-elect Harrison got up to speak, and he stood in the cold march wind of Washington, D.C., and he spoke for two hours. For two hours, he gave his address that day without a hat, without an overcoat. And everybody there was glad that he had gotten his friend Daniel Webster to edit the speech for content because it was 8,578 words in length. And he went for two hours. Because he stood so long in the cold that day, he caught a cold. Within a week, he had pneumonia that had been developed from the cold. Within a month, the pneumonia had killed him. So the moral of the story is being long-winded is very dangerous. It can be lethal. And... uh, So I will try to remember that. Will you help me preach for a few moments? Praise God. Revelation chapter number 14, verse number 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, everybody say worship, and his image and receive his mark, in his forehead or in his hand the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation 
And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I want to point out to our attention, verse number 9 speaks of those who worship the beast, and receive his mark. Verse number 11, speak of those who worship the beast and receiveth the mark. Chapter number 13 also speaks of those who worship the image and receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. I'd like to preach to you tonight. I feel the Lord has given me something to preach for this service. And uh, I would like to preach on this subject, the marks of worship. The marks of worship. Now, if you've come tonight to hear all of the mysteries and all of the details of the book of Revelation explained, you will be disappointed. And if you come for me to tell you all of um, the secrets of who the Antichrist is and all of those things, I probably don't have all the answers. But I do want to preach about the end time. And the man of God stood in this pulpit a few moments ago and asked, How many feel the pressure of the end time today? A whole lot of hands went up. Amen. How many, again, would say, I feel the pressure of the end time? Do you want to be preached to tonight? Do you want the Lord to speak to your heart in this place? Amen, amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's raise our hands. Let's lift up our voices. And let's ask the King of kings and the Lord of lords to touch our minds and our hearts. God, we love you. Oh, we appreciate you. We pray for the anointing today. We pray for your glory today. We pray that you'd touch our minds and our hearts. God, we need you like we've never needed you before. Lord, we lift our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord. Oh, we praise your name. We bless you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why don't we put our hands together one more time? Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. It is simply in your nature to be a worshiper. It is in the nature of human beings to worship something 
or somebody. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, they have something that they admire. It may be something that you own. It may be something that is an idea that you prescribe to, that you believe strongly, or it may be even a person that you know, but every individual has something that they admire. And something or someone will achieve the exalted status in your life. Amen. There will be an object of admiration that will become elevated above all other objects in your mind and in your life. Many times this is declared by what commands the majority of your time. Amen. It's what you admire. Or by what uh, claims a significant portion of your income. Or by what claims your affection or your emotion. But you have something that you admire and that you exalt above everything else. Worship tonight is simply expressing what has worth to you. Worship is simply a declaration of what has great value to you. It's simply making a statement somehow, some way, of what you admire and what you have decided to exalt in your life. You will worship. You express with your words. You express with your body language. You express with your commitment of time. You express with your sacrifice. You express with your surrender of resources. What is really important to you? Man, that's why in the Old Testament, God always had a problem with the Israelites chasing after idols and falling for idolatry and becoming infatuated with false gods. Somebody said, well, they were only made of stone or they're only made of wood. It's no big deal. But if you worshiped them, it required that you surrender something of worth to prove what that God means to you. Oh, yes, that's why the pagans were willing to burn their own children to the god Molech because it had worth. They made a statement that said to serve Molech is worth surrendering my own child. It was a statement of worship to them. The followers of Baal, they inflicted pain upon themselves and they would cut themselves. They would lash out, self-mutilate themselves. Amen. It was a declaration that my idol is worth enduring physical pain and suffering because this is my idol. Amen. And for me to suffer is a statement of worship when it comes to Baal. The golden calf for the Israelites, it brought out the worst in them. It brought out embarrassing behavior in them. It brought out shameful 
conduct in them because somebody convinced them that their idol was worth it, that this kind of conduct was appropriate for this kind of God or this kind of idol. I want to emphasize to you tonight that you will worship something. It's just in your nature to worship. Our brains are hardwired to search for something that is greater than we are and devote ourselves to it, to look for a power that is more mighty than we are and to give ourselves to it and to swear some allegiance to it. Amen. The reason that we respond to music is because music is primarily worship. It's worship of something and it's worship of somebody. You take the lyrics in music and you take the, uh, the rhythm of music and you take the melody of music and you take the harmony of music and you combine it all together and it's going to exalt something. It's going to exalt somebody. It's going to exalt an idea or it's going to exalt the performer. But somewhere it is a declaration of worship. The very purpose of a song is the exaltation of something. It's the exaltation of a belief or the exaltation of a subject or the exaltation of a place or the exaltation of a person. It is an instrument of worship. Amen. If the song is about alcohol, amen, alcohol is being worshipped. The song is about drugs, drugs is the object of worship. Are you with me tonight? Hallelujah. If it's about fornication, amen, immorality is being worshipped. If it's about heartache, then it's the wages of sin that's being exalted. If, if it's all about the singer, amen, if it's all about the musician, then it is a person that is being exalted and God is not being exalted. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, our world has an overabundance of worshipers. Everybody's worshiping something. Everybody's giving themselves to something. Everybody is speaking admiration and declaring worth for something. Can you clap your hands and give the Lord praise? Amen. Our world, amen, the church is not the only ones who know how to dance. The world is dancing. They're dancing in their clubs. They're dancing in the bars. Amen, they're dancing over things that's important to them. Hallelujah. Amen, you know why they get rowdy at ball games? You know why they clap? It's in human nature to clap. It's in human nature to get rowdy and to lift up their voices about something. It's in men to cheer for some kind of God. To lift up their voice and scream until they're hoarse. Uh, Amen. You know why? Because they are cheering for their God. They are giving themselves to their idol. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You will worship something. You will give your time to something. You will give your emotion to something. You will give your affection to something. Now the book of Revelation, when we talk about the book of Revelation, immediately people think about all of the end time events that unfold within its pages. 
People think about the four horses of the apocalypse. People think about the identity of the Antichrist. People think about the descriptions of heaven, the new Jerusalem, and the descriptions of hell and the lake of fire. They think about many of the terrifying, horrifying events that are still to come and try to identify how do we figure out uh, how to escape some of these uh, happenings that will come upon the earth. We talk about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation and talk about the mark of the beast and 666 and all of these things that, that, uh, that, that we've been uh, preached to about ever since we were little children. And I, I'm going to tell you, I would hear preachers preach when I was a little boy. And, and uh, man, I'm telling you, it would terrify me because it put something in me. I don't want to take the mark of the beast. I don't know what form it comes in, and I don't know how it's, it all is applied. And I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing. I don't want to take the mark of the beast. There was a healthy fear that was put in me and said, hey, I don't want to go that route. I know if I go that route, I'm going to be lost. I know if I take that mark that it's going to be bad news for me, and, and so I don't want that. Hey, man, and it's kept me watchful, and it's kept me vigilant, it's kept me concerned about the events of the end time. Praise God. I don't want to take it. I don't want to fall for it. Hey, man, whatever trick that is used, and whatever kind of economical pressure that is used, I don't want to fall for it. I want to be a saint in the end time. I, I want to be a child of God. I, I want to stand for what's right. I want to stand for what's true. I want to stand for the doctrine in the end time. Anybody else feel that way tonight? Amen. While we talk about all of the things from the book of Revelation, can I just tell you, and if your pastor disagrees, he's right and I'm wrong, but, but I want to tell you, I'm, I'm just going to be real simple tonight. That the book of Revelation is primarily a book about worship. All the way through from the beginning of the book. It's different forms and different variations. But all the way through, there's somebody worshiping. When you, when you start in the beginning with John, he's in a spirit of worship. When you get to the end and you see the redeemed in the new Jerusalem, they're all worshiping. Amen. It's a book about worship. John was exiled by the Roman government on the Isle of Patmos. It was a place of punishment. It was a place of isolation. And uh, it seemed like John's life was over. It seemed like John's ministry was over. It seemed like that John had no future there. He was exiled for the testimony and for the gospel that he preached. And here he is executed, or he is sentenced like an executed criminal with no future. Surely his bones were going to dry out, bleached on the beaches of Patmos. And yet with no future before him and the the, the disapproval of the Roman government hanging over his head, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
I was by myself, but it was just like Sunday church. I didn't have somebody preaching to me. I didn't have anybody singing to me. I didn't have anybody patting me on the back. I didn't have anybody telling me I could make it, but it was like a Sunday service. I'm going to tell you, if John can worship, I can worship. If John can get in the spirit on Patmos on a Wednesday night of West Coast Conference 2013, I can get in the spirit too. I can lift my voice. I can lift my hands. I can clap my hands. I can tell God I love him one more time in this service. If John can, I can. Don't tell me you can't have church. Don't tell me somebody lied on you and stole your worship. Don't tell me a preacher mistreated you and stole your worship. Don't tell me you've had too many bad times, amen, and you don't have any worship. Don't tell me somebody did you wrong so you can't worship. If John, forsaken by everybody, if John, who thought he'd never preach again, if he could get down in the sand of Patmos and get in the spirit then bless your heart I believe we can have a little church in this place tonight Amen It's about worship You want to know what you were created for? You were not created to be a wizard at IBM or Microsoft. You were created to worship. You weren't created to make six figures a year. You were created to worship. You weren't created to be the smartest person in every room you walk into. You were created to worship. You were not created, hallelujah, to have your own way and to be the master of your own fate. You were created to worship your creator. Amen. Revelation chapter number 5. You may be seated. Revelation chapter number 5 gives us a glimpse of the throne room, the very presence of God. And in that throne room were four beasts. One had the face of a, of a lion, and one had the face of a calf, and the other had the face of a, of a man, and the, one had the appearance of a flying eagle. I don't know what all of that's about. But you know what they were doing? They were worshiping. It's about all I know about them. There were 24 elders that had crowns of gold on their head. Evidently, they'd already fought the fight and they'd already finished the course and they'd already proved their faithfulness and they'd already put some years in. But you know what they were doing? They were worshiping. John looked around the throne of God and he saw 10,000 angels and time 10,000 angels. And I don't know a lot about the angels, but I tell you what these angels were doing. They were worshiping. They were saying, holy, holy, holy. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, 
if those powerful beasts and whatever they represent, if they needed to worship, and if those exalted elders who had already gained the crown and achieved notable status, if they needed to worship, and if those angels who have spent eternity in the presence of God, if they needed to worship, who am I to sit down and fold my arms and cross my legs and feel like I'm too important or I'm too educated or I'm too special or I've got too great of a position. If the angels need to worship, I need to worship. If the elders had to worship, I need to worship. If those beasts had to worship, I need to worship. Well, let me tell you, all some of you need to do is remember where he brought you from. Remember the pit you were in when he dug you out. Remember what a mess you had made of your life. Remember what it felt like when he baptized your soul with the sweet Holy Ghost. Remember what he put back together in your life. You couldn't help but praise him. You couldn't help but worship. You couldn't help uh, but there'd be a crescendo of thanksgiving erupt from your soul. Hallelujah. A call to worship. Amen. Amen. My Lord. While the world is screaming at their ball games, while the world is all caught up in the latest and the greatest fad, there ought to be some folks that we never get so holy and we never get so polished and we never get so educated and we never get so sophisticated that we can't give God some apostolic, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost anointed praise. Hallelujah. 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 You can be seated. Will you preach with me just a little bit longer? You will worship something. I told our folks at home, I said, you look around. You, you look around here at those who never do nothing. You look around here at these that never move. There's something they're worshiping. There's something they're excited about. There's something that's got their attention. There's something that got their affection. If they're not showing their love to God, uh, hey man, they're giving their attention and emotion uh, to something. Hallelujah. You will worship something. Let me give you something else here. And that is, your life will be marked by something. We carry the marks tonight of our influences. We carry the marks of our experiences. We carry tonight the marks 
of our passions. Scientists, I understand, have found out that DNA is not just set and determined at the point of your birth. And your DNA is not something that is unchanging. But your DNA is continually affected by your experiences. And your DNA is continually changing based on the choices that you make and the interests that you have. Amen. Somebody said, well, you know, it's just in my DNA. You know, uh, being gay is in my DNA. Being an adulterer is just in my DNA. Can't change it. Being a, a sinner, being a liar is just in my DNA. And it's unchangeable. Oh, no. Let me tell you, the Bible communicated way before a scientist ever found out that just a little tweaking in your genetic code can make a difference in you. Just a little bit of changes in your DNA can make a total difference. If any man be in Christ... God just puts a little something different in your DNA. If any man, I don't care what you were before you came to God. I don't care who you were before you got the Holy Ghost. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. God can make an alteration. There's somebody's genetic code today. He can take that love for the world out of your heart and put a love for the church inside of you. He can put a love for worldliness, take it out of your heart and put a love for truth inside of you. He can put confusion out of your heart and put a love for the truth inside of you tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You will... Be marked by something. You may be seated. Tattoo artists are doing well these days. Because people have to be marked by something. Individuals have to take on some identity. I understand you got a wide choice when you walk into one of those places. They say, you, I mean, you can, here, you can have a dragon or you can have a skull or you can have, I'm short on experience here, you understand. But, but uh, I mean, you know, just a picture of Elvis or, uh, you know, a rose or your Aunt Rose or, I, I mean, uh, have, because it's in people to be marked something. Give me significance. Give me identity. Give me meaning. You can let somebody put 25 holes in one ear and you can get another piercing in your nose, in your eyebrow, in your lip. And heaven knows I want to be marked. That's the cry of so many people. Put a mark on me and give me some significance. The world doesn't mind being marked. Even in a struggling economy, 
plastic surgeons are doing okay. Because people feel like if I can just get a few marks here and there, it'll make a great improvement. I found out here a while back, people will spend 90 bucks and more for a football jersey. Because it's got somebody's number on it or somebody's name or the, the, the team logo on it. Just for a jersey. Because it gives them a feeling of, of belonging. And it's a way to declare their allegiance to something. Because they have found out, you know, the, the t-shirt industry's making billions. Because it's in human nature to declare something with their apparel. It might be a stupid saying, but it's in human nature to declare what you believe in your apparel. Amen. To declare their allegiance with their apparel. Are you with me tonight? And they're making billions of dollars because people don't mind making a statement with their dress. All except the church, it seems, today. It seems like it's not in style anymore to understand that we all make a statement with our appearance and our apparel and our dress. Well, y'all, y'all aren't shouting now, but... Can I tell you tonight that, that God disciplined Samson in three areas. And it was in his appearance and in his appetite and in his emotions. I don't have time to preach it tonight. Amen. His, his appearance and his appetites and his emotions all had to be disciplined. His emotions don't ever touch a dead body. I don't care if it's daddy, mama. I don't care if it's your fellow soldier in battle. You don't ever touch, don't run to them. Don't, don't try to, 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 to hold them up. Don't try to, to comfort them in their last few minutes. You don't touch a dead body. You keep your emotions under control, Samson, if you want God to use you. His appetites, no strong drink. There's certain things you cannot partake of, Samson, if you're going to be anointed. Are you with me? His appearance had to be distinct and separate because he was under a Nazarite vow. When did Samson lose the touch of God and the apparent anointing? It's when he was willing to throw away the distinction in his appearance. Somebody said it don't matter how you dress. God don't care how you look. God don't care about holiness. I'm going to tell you when the church quits preaching holiness, when the church quits setting standards, when the church quits telling people how to live and how to look and what kind of an appearance is pleasing to God, the church is going to lose its anointing. I know, I know we got a bunch of young preachers that you can be seated. We got young preachers that are smarter than any of the elders that's ever come along. Oh Lord, I wasn't going to do this, but. And they're questioning, do we have 
chapter and verse for that standard? Can you prove it for that standard? I mean, give me a chapter. What do you use? How do you get up? How can you get up and say the Bible is against beards? You know, from the early 1900s up till now, the last 100 years or so, America has not, has not voted in a president. I may lose it right here, boy. I'm... America has not voted in, for the last 100 years, has not voted in a president with facial hair. You know why? Because... Uh, almost a hundred years ago was a guy by the name of Karl Marx and a guy by the name of Vladimir Lenin became very prominent across the world and Americans looked at that and that identified facial hair became a mark of communism well I and and immediately when, when, when people looked at a man that had facial hair, look it up in, in your history. In the last 100 years, only two men have been serious candidates for the presidency of the United States that had facial hair, and they neither one got it. Because in the minds of Americans, they identified facial hair with socialism, communism, and they considered to be untrustworthy. Recently, I was listening to a man, and he was talking to salespeople and manager, managerial staff, and he told them, you are to all be clean cut, and you are to all be clean shaven because 65, I didn't say this, 65% of Americans, when they are approached by someone with facial hair, they do not trust them as much as what they do, someone that's clean shaven. Well, I have killed this service dead. So I got up in my church. Now, I just, I got up in my church and I said, all right, folks, I'd like to ask y'all a question. Here in a couple of services, couple of weeks, if I came out on this pulpit with a goatee, why are you laughing? Brother Garrett said I'd look funny. Well, it may take me longer than a couple of weeks, but you know, I mean. I said, how many of you that would change how you perceive me? How many of you that would make a difference in my leadership now if I walked out on this platform with a goatee? They all said, it'd make a difference. I said, is everybody agreed it would make a difference in how I am perceived as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian? They said, yes. I said, uh, would it be a difference for the, for the best or the worst? They said, worse. I said, would you think me more spiritual or more carnal? They, they said, carnal. 
Would it influence you to receive me in a greater way or a lesser way? Would you have more respect or less respect? And they all said, less respect. I said, just a goatee? Just, just a little bit of facial hair? They said, yes, we'd have less respect. I said, okay. If you would think less of me for growing a beard, why can't I have the same standard? I know, I, 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 I realize, I took a left turn, and some of you jumped off, and uh, I'm going to tell you something. I, it is time that we trust what these elders have preached. And there are some convictions that are personal convictions, and there are some convictions that are pastoral convictions that God gave to your pastor. They said, I don't feel good about us doing that. I don't feel good about this. This is where we're going to draw the line, and you need to trust your pastor. Have a little bit of loyalty. Declare your allegiance, and quit trying to nitpick everything. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I don't, uh, uh, you know, these, these sports fans in the world, they get all caught up. Man, and they wear the, they wear the jersey and they wear the ball cap and uh, they wear the jacket. I mean, I'm telling you, they get all caught up in, in declaring their loyalty for the team. And you know, you, you never hear somebody who's all caught up with one team Ever, ever start talking to people from the other team, wondering why, you know, our colors are red, and wonder why we can't wear the turquoise colors like, like they do. You know, our, our logo's the 49ers, but what's wrong with the logo of the Dolphins? I mean, it's football, and it's all the same rules, and it's all, you know, it's all the same. You know, I, I, I want to, are you with me? I want it to say 49ers, but I want to wear the, the Dolphins' colors. You know, they don't do that. They don't question the colors. They don't question the logo. They don't gripe about, well, I'll tell you what, the 49ers would be a whole lot better if they let me pick the colors. They just wear them because that's allegiance. But we got saints... Say, well, that church, yeah, I don't understand why we have to do so and so. And, 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 and I don't understand why our logo is different than their logo. After all, they're apostolic too. I don't understand why our colors are different than their colors because they're Jesus' name too. Why don't you wear the colors? Why don't you be a team player? Why don't you just wear the color? Why don't you wear the standard that your pastor preaches? Why don't you say, this is what I'm going to be because this is my pastor. This is my church. This is the way it's taught in my pulpit. And that's where I pay my tithes. And that's where I bring my children. And that's where I worship God. And that's where I give my offerings. And that's where I shout and I pray and I worship. Hallelujah. 
Amen, amen, amen. If the world can accept it and just declare their allegiance to their team, what's wrong with apostolics today wanting to nitpick everything that's taught and wanting to pick apart every standard that is proclaimed? Why don't you just wear the colors and say, my team is apostolic, my team is holiness, my team is Jesus' name, and I'm proud to declare it. You will be marked by something. Hallelujah. I don't understand folks who claim to love the truth but don't want to look apostolic. I don't understand people, uh, amen, that say they're Jesus' name uh, but they don't want to wear anything that proclaims uh, that they're different from the world. Uh, I don't understand folks uh, that say they still believe uh, the doctrine uh, but the only thing they're going to let go of uh, is a few of the standards uh, that they think is antiquated uh, and out of date. Uh, let me tell you, if you join the army, you got to wear the the uniform. If you work for Delta Airlines, you got to wear the uniform. If you attend West Point, you got to wear the uniform. If you play baseball, you got to wear the baseball uniform. If you're a waitress at Applebee's, you got to wear the uniform. If you're in the drive-thru at McDonald's, you got to wear the uniform. If you're a nurse at the hospital, you got to wear the uniform. If you deliver packages at UPS, you got to wear the uniform. What's wrong? What's wrong with looking apostolic? We don't need any more charismatics. We don't need any more pretty boy preachers. We don't need any straddle the fence Christians. We need people that'll say put the mark of the apostolic faith on me. Hallelujah. You can be seated. That leper went down. He went down to the tabernacle. Priest, I got this leprosy. Leviticus chapter number 13, chapter number 14 talks about those that they had to be declared leprous. And then it talked about those who were to be cleansed. And in that cleansing, in that cleansing process, Leviticus chapter number 14, that priest would take that blood of the lamb that had been slain for the leper and take that blood and apply it to the leper's ear and apply it to the thumb of his right hand. And apply it to the great toe of his right foot. Now I understand that leprosy is disfiguring. I understand that leprosy leaves scars. Leprosy long term can cause you to lose fingers and, 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 and lose uh, features. Be disfiguring to your face. But there was a, there was a mark that had to be put on the leper that when he went to be cleansed and when he went to be made whole, the priest said, everybody's going to want to shun you because of the marks of leprosy, but I'm going to put another mark on you. And when they see this mark, they'll know it's all right. Oh, that leper was glad to leave church that day. Everybody said, don't fool with Joe. He's got a finger missing from leprosy. Did you 
you see his nose. Uh, and man, it's all disfigured from leprosy. Uh, but Joe left the house of God and said, boys, uh, I've been to church uh, and something happened to me. Uh, I've been cleansed. Uh, I've been made new. Uh, and I know you can still see the scars. Uh, but look at here. Uh, I don't hear what I used to. I don't listen to what I used to. Uh, I got the marks uh, on me to prove it. Uh, I don't do what I used to do. Uh, I got the marks to prove it. Uh, I don't go where I used to go. Uh, I've got the marks that show it in my life. Amen. Let me tell you, if church is not making a mark on you, something is. If holiness preaching's not making a mark on you, something is. Amen. I bring to you the final statement I want to make tonight. Not only is it true that you will worship something, not only is it true that you will be marked by something, but the last thing I want to leave you tonight is whatever you worship will leave its mark. You haven't died yet, have you? Oh, I've often thought that Elijah calling all of Israel to Mount Carmel and how that he stood there and he drew a line between the worshipers of God and the worshipers of Baal and he invited them to build an altar. And I've often thought that it was desperation that caused them to mutilate themselves. I've often thought it was be- because they were being mocked at by Elijah and they, they realized they were being shown up that they, they in, in frustration, they pulled out these knives and began to inflict pain on themselves. But that's not what the Bible said. The Bible said, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner. It was their custom to be scarred by Baal. It was their culture and their manner of having their ritual that with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. The Bible said that was part of being a Baal worshiper. Because whatever you worship will leave its mark. I find it significant The scripture points out that Jezebel painted her face. Scripture also points out that she was the first, especially among royalty, to promote Baal worship and sponsor Baal worship and push Israel toward Baal worship and make it a national form of religion even in Israel. You know why? Because she, it's apparent. It, it, it never said that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, painted her face. Never said Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, painted her face. Am I still in an apostolic church tonight? Amen, amen, amen. It didn't say Deborah the prophetess painted her face, but when you get to Jezebel, she had some marks. I just wonder if that was the marks of Baal worship. Let me tell you, if you worship wealth, then you're going to want to look like you got money. If you worship sensuality, 
you will appear sensual. When you worship education, you want to look smarter than everybody else in the room. When you worship celebrities, you start imitating them, dressing like them, looking like them. When you worship sports, you'll wear the colors that they wear. When you worship modern culture, you'll wear the latest fashions. When you worship alcohol, you'll look like a drunk. When you worship drugs, it'll leave track marks in your arms. Because what you worship will leave its mark. Amen. In Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14. The Bible said that there were those that took the mark of the beast. Doing some studying recently, it stood out to me in the book of Revelation that everywhere that it is mentioned that people received the mark of the beast, everywhere that they submitted to the mark of the beast, everywhere that they took willingly the mark of the beast, it was always connected to worshiping the beast. It seems like to me you didn't take the mark of the beast unless you were impressed with the beast, unless you were following the beast, unless you were worshiping the beast. This is the beast that was in Revelation chapter 13 speaking great blasphemies against God. This is the beast that was blaspheming the name of God. This is the beast that was making war against the saints in Revelation chapter number 13 and in spite of this there were people that were willing to worship the beast there were people that were even willing to worship the image of the beast hallelujah let me tell you something amen if you're not one that's worshiping the culture of this world if you're not one that's caught up in the lies that are being propagated this media today they're blaspheming God they're blaspheming his name they're making war against the saints. Academia today is blaspheming God, blaspheming His name, making war against the saints. But there's going to be a church that in spite of what's going on in the school system, in spite of what the government is deciding, in spite of what's going on at college, there's going to be a church that says we're going to worship the same God we've always worshipped. We're going to have the same kind of church that we've always had. You know what will protect you from the mark of the beast is when you worship right. You know what will protect you from 666 is if you know how to worship when you get to church. Because if you worship God on a Sunday night, you're not going to go take the mark and worship the beast come this Friday. Amen, I'm going to tell you, you ought to worship God in this day and hour like you've never worshipped. You ought to declare your allegiance. You ought to declare your loyalty. You ought to declare your love for Him. You ought to declare your affection. You ought to declare His goodness. You ought to praise God continually and let His praises always be in your mouth. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Stand with me. I'm through. Amen. 
Paul sat at the feet of one of the greatest teachers of his day, Gamaliel. But it's time to wrap it all up. He didn't say, I bear the marks of the philosophy of Gamaliel. Paul was fluent, able to speak and write the Greek language prolifically. But he didn't get to the end and say, I bear the marks of my Greek heritage. He was born free as a Roman citizen, the, the international city of the world, the, one of the greatest powers of that day. He didn't say, I bear the marks of Rome. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, excelled above all of his equals in the Jewish law. But when he got to the end, he didn't say, I bear the marks of being a Pharisee or even the marks of the Sanhedrin. None of those things. Even being raised at Tarsus, a wealthy city, by a wealthy family, he didn't say, I bear the marks of my hometown of Tarsus. I've been marked. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I know you've got to go to school and get an education. But you don't have to be marked by a secular institution. I know you've got to work and you've got to earn a living and you've got to get a paycheck on Friday. But you don't have to be marked by those you work with. Those that you have to network with on a daily and weekly basis. But I'm going to tell you, there ought to be something in you tonight that says, Holy Ghost, mark me. Let West Coast 2013 put a mark on my soul. Let Pastor Vaughn Morton mark me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the preaching of the cross that I'm going to hear, let it put a mark on me. I would bear the marks. Hallelujah. What kind of mark has been made on your life? Are you carrying too much of the world in your mind? Are you carrying too much of the world in your spirit? Are you carrying too much of the world in your appearance? Are you carrying too much of the marks of this world and this culture and, and our day and what's acceptable even in our nation? Are you being marked? Are you being influenced by it? Or is there some young people in this place today that says, I want to be marked by the Holy Ghost power. I want to be marked by an apostolic ministry. I want to be marked by service. Oh, Lord. I want a mark on my life. I wonder if we can respond to the Word of God. I know this is the first night, but I believe the Holy Ghost is calling for sincere people tonight. If you begin to make your way around the front, there may not be room for everybody, but I wish there could be some folks make your way around the front tonight. Lift up your hands and say, Mark me, Jesus. Mark my life. Hallelujah. Make a distinct and indelible impression upon my heart and upon my mind. Don't let the world leave its mark. Don't let my worldly friends make their mark. Don't let me pick up their habits. 
Don't let me pick up their attitudes. Don't let me pick up their ways. Their mentalities. Lord, put a mark on me. That'll make a difference. That'll make a change. That'll have a lasting impact. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's have a prayer meeting around here tonight. Amen, young folks. You need to be marked by what's going on in this place. Parents ought to pray that their children in a world that's trying to influence them, in a world that's grasping for their minds, in a world that's trying to impress them, you need to pray for your children that the Holy Ghost would make a serious impression upon them. Hallelujah. We need to pray for our children like we've never prayed for them before. We need to reach for them like we've never reached before. We need to intercede like we've never interceded before. Hallelujah. Come on, let's let the Holy Ghost move. I know this is the first night, and we usually don't do this kind of thing on the first night. Come on, let's let the Holy Ghost move. Let's have a breakthrough in this place.